Well, good morning, Five Stones Church. How are you guys doing? Welcome. We just want to extend a warm welcome from our family to yours. If you are joining us for the first time, we want to welcome you. Uh, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. Let's get into our, our sermon here. Why don't we just pray and uh, we will dive right into our sermon. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for who you are and what you're, you're, you're doing in the midst of all of, the, uh, all of this pandemic season. And, and, and as the world is kind of at a place of unrest and just unknown, Lord, you are faithful in who you are and that we could come and stand firm in. So, Father God, we just pray that in this time, Lord, may you bring an encouragement to our hearts and to your church. So, Father God, we thank you. We love you. We give our, all our honor and praise to you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, for those that have been with us over the last year, we've been going through the Minor Prophets. We have actually finished through that. So, if you have missed out on any of those books, on the 12 books of the Minor Prophets, Please jump online. Um, actually, on the YouTube, there's actually we we've kept actually a lot of our our sermons there. But if you want to hear just the audio aspect of it, um, that's all all on our website. So you could go back and listen to um, pretty much all of our our minor prophet series. And it's it, it was an awesome series to preach through. And now we're into a new season of preaching. It's just actually free form preaching until our summer series. And actually. One extra announcement here is that we, we're still doing call-outs for our, our summer series for Songs of Solomon. And so if you are or wanting or feel God prompting you to, to give testimony, um, we w I want to encourage you to, to, to send in an email and let us know. Um, but today I wanted to bring an encouragement uh, to the church. I want to bring an encouragement um, to the church of, because of, of what we're going through of this season of pandemic. We've kind of sat in this worldwide pandemic for a little over a month now, and things are starting to settle. Things aren't as crazy as they were in the beginning. People are not hoarding toilet paper anymore. People are not going crazy and buying things. There's somewhat of order that has come back. But some of us are now starting to miss what we thought was normal. Some of us are starting to come to this place where we kind of feel a little unsettled, but we're not really sure why, because it's not like there's this drastic pandemic that's happening out there. But some of us are feeling there's a stirring in our spirit, and this unsettling that's happening. It feels like our life has been shaken up. Some of us are just waiting. We're just sitting around and waiting for normalcy to come back. To help put us things into perspective, C.S. Lewis writes in his book, The Weight of Glory, in a time addressing war. He says this, he says, war creates no absolutely new situation. It simply aggravates the permanent human situation so that we can no longer ignore it. Human life has always lived, has always been lived on the edge of a precipice, Human culture has always had to exist under the shadow of something infinitely more important than itself. If men had postponed the search of knowledge and, the, and beauty until they were secure, the search would never have begun. We are mistaken when we compare war with normal life. Life has never been normal. We're not living in a season of war, but we're living 
in a season that's similar to that. And we're living through something that's, that we're calling a pandemic. What these things naturally do is that it actually shakes up what is normal. So what C.S. Lewis is pointing out here is, is what we know or think is normal in our, si- in our society, our culture, and what we hold on to as security, all of this can and will be gone. But that there is something that is infinitely more important to live for. That we would be mistaken if we compare what we're living in in this pandemic season with normal life. Because life has never really been normal. What the pandemic has actually brought up or stirred up or aggravated is merely a fact that one day, and it's brought to light that one day that all nations, all economies, all health, all relationships, everything that we know and, and think is normal will eventually succumb to time. That all of these things will, 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 will fade away. In the Bible, it says that moth and rust will destroy the treasures that we secure here. It talks about how life itself is like sprouts of green in the morning that wilt by the evening, that all of these things are like vapor in the wind, that these are all just vanities of vanities that we're chasing after, or what we think is normal. What this has done is it's accelerated the urgency for us to see in how we react to things. When we look at our economy and we're looking at um, our relationships and we're looking at how, what, what this virus has done to the world, it has brought up an urgency of how we are to react. I don't want to downplay what this pandemic season is. I don't want to downplay that, that the we know that the economy may not be the same on the other end of, of the coronavirus, but, and I don't want to downplay the fact that there are over 200,000 people that, that are recorded dead and over 3 million people recorded being affected by, by, by the, the virus, and all these numbers are still going up, that there are hundreds, if not thousands, if not millions in this world that has felt the loss of this pandemic, whether it is through our loved ones, people that have passed away because of it, or through our economic and financial statuses. That yes, what we know is normal is now shaken up. Yes, we have to play our part. Yes, we need to fight this together. Yes, we have to support our frontline workers. We have to stay home merely as a small part and small sacrifice in order for us to collectively get through this. However, all of these things do not and should not set the tone for us as a church in the way that we live. That as C.S. Lewis pointed out, that there is something that is far more important that underlies all of this. There is something that is far greater that sets a tone and defines for us and characterizes for us and brings to light that surpasses all nations, all economies, all relationships, and will continue to do for all of eternity. And this is the gospel message that is God. The gospel message that it's the love that comes from him and the gospel message that we are all saved 
by him. In Romans 12, one, verses 1 and 2, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is our call as humanity. That outside of this, everything we labor in are for grand nothings. That civilizations are built on the shores of time with the tide that quickly rises and quickly recedes. That our bank accounts, our reputations, our legacies and families, if built on our name rather than in Christ's name, all will vanish with time. Jesus has set a new example of how we are to live and to live our lives as worship unto the Lord, to chase after what God has called us to do, to seek mercy, to do justice, and to be of what part of God's legacy. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says this, Therefore, by my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. We are called to labor with Christ. We are called to labor for Christ and to do the things that God that God has instilled into your life to do. We are called to live a life that is radical. Why? Because we're not citizens of this world, but we're heirs to the kingdom of God. We, we need to remember and live this way, that we live for what is eternal and, fight, and, and that we fight for what we fight for is not lost because what we're fighting for is for the kingdom. So how do we do this? It's just first that we need to come back to the mercies of God. That we need to remember the grace that was given to us. That grace is an active expression of God's love. So how do we live and access this, this grace? We need to come to Jesus like children. Many say that we, we, we come to Jesus like children because children are innocent. That's not the reason why Jesus used children as an example. Jesus used children because children have no claim on heaven. In fact, they, they haven't done anything enough to accomplish enough or to earn or gain anything enough, so everything that children get is a gift. And that's why Jesus says we have to come to him like children is because we cannot earn or gain what God has to offer to us and what God has us to live through. And so Jesus says, for you to access my grace, it's not by works. You do not earn it. There's nothing that you could do to actually give you this grace, but that you have to come to me like children because children get everything as gifts and they receive everything as gifts because they are completely reliant and solely reliant on what you have to offer him in order for him to earn or get anything. So Jesus says, in order for you to receive my grace, it is not by what you do, but is what I have done and the gift that I have given to you. So first and foremost, we need to recognize and come back to the place of mercy and of the, of a place of, of the grace that is given to us by God. That we are not laboring to please and to earn our way into God's love. This creates what we call religious legalism. 
We simply do it because we see the mercy of God had on us because of our sins and that we actually deserve death. We actually deserve an internal separation from God, but God has poured out his mercy and says, this is my gift to you and you cannot do anything to earn it. We need to come back to this place first. To be able to see the grandeur of God, to see his love, his great, his great love, his great power, his great sovereignty. And when we see all of that, that we could come to a place of understanding that he is holy and we are not. But because of his son, Jesus Christ, and the gift that he has for us, that we could come to the throne of God with full confidence to receive that grace and to come into that place of living a life with him. That is first and foremost where we need to be, where we need to come to, where we need to arrive on a daily basis in order for us to live with the kingdom and through the kingdom. You know, there are so many things that has happened during this, this pandemic where all of a sudden religion has come to, into the forefront of people's minds that this has surpassed anything that we could understand and people are grasping at things and they're, they're coming back to a place where they're, they're seeking a spiritual comfort of some sort. People that weren't likely wanting or willing to come to church because church doesn't seem to be a safe place for us to, to, to come into. It's, it doesn't seem like it's a place where I feel like I could explore my spirituality, but what this pandemic has created has created an opportunity for people that may not come to a church physically to come to a church online. Why do people feel like they can't physically come to a church? Have you ever asked that question? Because most of the time people see churches as people that are judgmental and proud. That they see that the church... To, to, in order for us to go into a church, that they need to be perfect. That they cannot come in and they cannot step in because they have sinned. They think that church people are not necessarily the nicest people. They may look nice on the outside. They may act nice on the outside, but on the inside, they're righteous, self-righteous. And they're legalistic. But that's the thing, is that God has given us this grace, and that grace is extended for everybody. That God sees everybody exactly the same because of his son Jesus. That God sees that great old church lady that prays for everybody. And that murderer that's sitting and serving death row that has come before the throne of God because he has heard the message of Jesus, that he sees both of them exactly the same. And that there is no condemnation, that there is no difference between these two people because Jesus died for both of them and therefore both of them have the exact confidence to come and approach God and ask for the same grace and mercy and have access to all of these things and God's love being poured out to both of these people. That we need to remember that God's grace covers everything and everybody. It's not by our actions, but by his son that we're able to approach the throne throne of God. That everyone is able to accept an extravagant gift 
So first and foremost, we need to come into that place. To live in God's grace is understanding, be still and know that I am God. To live in God's grace is to trust and to know that God speaks, that, that when we take out the noise and the chaos and the busy of, busyness of life, that it is part of our spiritual worship and transformation of the mind to fill ourselves with the study of the word, but also that we come to the place of praying God's word. Because when we sit still in the presence of the living God and in the presence of his word, what happens is that God helps us understand with both our head and our heart. That the more that we come to this place, the more we see God's mercy, and the more that we see God's mercy, that, that we are small and that he is great, and that we have nothing to offer, but that he has everything to offer. And it is then, when we come to that place, that God himself begins to establish the work of your hands. So perhaps because of the coronavirus, some of us feel a little bit shaken. It's because it's exposed to you. It's brought up to you some of the trivialities that have taken up your time, that's taken up your heart. And what you're finding is that in, in many ways that you were living the way that you're living, that there's a dichotomy that has been presented in front of you, that what is your heart and what is God's heart. And that in this time that we have slowed down in some sense, that a lot of the noise is now taken away, that we're starting to see that what we think is normal is not what God, is think, what God thinks is normal. That what we think should be daily life is not what God sees as daily life. That this isn't an opportunity and not something that we just wait out or something that we just, just let pass but that this becomes an opportunity for us. God wants us to live radically. So how do we do that? How do we live radically? If we continue in Romans 12, starting in verse 9, it says this, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly, never be wise in your own sight, repay no no one evil for evil, but give thoughts to those that are honorable in sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. There are some very simple, yet practical, and radical ways of living and laboring with God. So I've pulled out eight from these verses here. First it says, let love be genuine. Love the way God loves us by extending the same mercy and grace that you have received. Extend that to others by not holding back, not having reservations to love the way that 
you have experienced God. The more you see God's mercy to you, the more you can extend that same mercy. To love, let your love be genuine. Where does that genuine love come from is when we see God's love for us. And so first and foremost, it says love. Let all of these things, everything that is coming after this, point one, be stirred on by this love, this genuine love, this love that comes from God, not from you, but from God. Second is to hate what is evil and to hold on what is good. That there are so many good things that are happening and there are so many evil things that are happening and that we need to stand in that place of justice and we need to stand in that place of what is wrong and what is good, what is from the enemy and what is from God. And the more that you actually understand who God is, the more that you understand what God has called you to do, the more that you're going to be able to discern what is bad and what is good. Third, it says to love one another as brothers or as families or as fraternities, that we love each other in a place that this is my family. And sometimes not all of us have a good impression of family. Some of us come from families that are broken. We're not talking about those kind of families. We're talking about families that love each other, care for each other, and are able to come together to support each other in a way that almost frat houses do. Okay, I'm not, frat houses is probably a very bad example of it. But in a way that there's this brotherly love that we know that we're all on the same team and that we got each other's back. Fourth, an extreme honor. It actually says, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another. That it is for you to show honor to those places and those things and the people that, that you need to honor. Not to, to place it over God, not to be idolatrous about it, but to show honor and show respect in a way that, that, that you are, are putting into the system. One of the things that I could give you an example for in this season is to honor what the government officials has to say. If the government officials are telling you to stay home, stay home. That's good witness. If the, if the me medical professions are saying, hey, I need you to put a mask on. Just put a mask on. That is honoring what the, the, the professionals have to say. But one of the big things that it does is not just coming into a place of listening and following the rules. It is a witness of who you are and that you are kingdom people. So honor, outdo each other in honor. And this is serve the Lord with zeal. Number five, that we are able to not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit to serve the Lord. That you take this time to figure out what is laboring in the Lord mean? What, does, what, what is the framework of laboring in the Lord? What do I do in my career, in, my, in the place that I am? What does laboring in the Lord mean? It doesn't mean that you have to be a pastor. It doesn't mean that you have to be evangelist. It just means that whatever you're doing, that you do it alongside of what God's plan has for you so that you extend his kingdom and that all that you chase after leaves a legacy of kingdom. Because we know that everything, as we talk, everything will fade. But what continues to be the same, what has surpassed all nations, all economies, all empires, and what will continue to surpass all of those things is God's kingdom. And so in everything that you live, in every way that you live, 
What are you doing to serve the Lord and labor with the Lord? You could be a mom, and the best way for you to labor with the Lord is to raise your children to know God's word. That's laboring in the Lord. You could be a janitor and be cleaning and going around and doing these deep cleans. I know a lot of places are now doing deep clean cleanses. And you are laboring in the Lord by being a good witness and doing the best that you can and ministering to everybody that your hand touches and your hand cleans. That you could be a good neighbor and take care of the neighbor that is across the hall from you or next door to you. Those are the things that we're talking about when we're laboring with God and serving the Lord. The sixth thing is to rejoice in hope and patience through trials. That even in this time that we could rejoice in hope, that our church has a, has a new member, Lucas, and that we can rejoice with Nick and Sarah, that we have welcomed a new life into this, into this world. That is rejoicing with them. That is being happy. Rejoice in the things that are, are, that are going well. Rejoice with, with the doctors and nurses that are, are, are working so hard and we are so grateful for the work that they've done but also to be patient through the trials, to understand that there are families and people out there that are going through hard times, that they're struggling financially, that they're struggling with anxiety of going outside, that you, you are to bring an encouragement and be patient through this time. The seventh thing is to pray constantly. Pray constantly. If you don't know what to pray, pray scripture. To pray constantly, to come to, to, to the Lord constantly in all of these things. How do I help? How do, how, I, I'm struggling myself. I'm struggling with the inner dialogue that I cannot get rid of. Pray constantly. Be in constant prayer with him. If you have nothing to pray about, pray scripture. Just read scripture. Read through the Psalms. Pray through that. God's going to speak to you in terms of what he wants you to do in this season. And number eight, to contribute to the needs of others and show hospitality. What this pandemic has brought is that we do not need to wait for life to become normal again for us to start something new. That some of us has actually already started something new. And I'm not talking about new hobbies. I'm not talking about I'm going to start playing the piano or I'm going to start learning something. Yes, you could do all of that too. But to start something new by helping our neighbors, by building new relationships, by reconciling old relationships, by caring for the homeless, by feeding families that are struggling, if you want to do something great by fostering children that are coming from homes where domestic abuse is now at an all-time high, to live radically is something that God has called us to do. But to live radically is also doing what is ordinary, what is simple. It is to do small things, small acts of services that fall in line with the calling that God has given us to labor with him.
to quote one of my favorite movies from the gladiators, he says, what we do in this life echoes in eternity, but I want to change that saying a little bit and put a new framework into that quote and say that what we do in the Lord echoes in eternity. That what we do does not need to be a big gesture but, but, or a grand radical step. What we need to do is we need to drive our intentions by what, the, what God wants us to do. That we could labor with God and, and, and learn to serve him and do what he wants us to do. And this begins to create something that is far out of reach that any virus could take. That we live today in light of forever, that what we need to do can be very simple. But if we do it in the Lord, and we, when we do it with God himself, that God begins to establish the work of our hands. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you just for who you are as, our, as God our Father that you have given us just mercies upon mercies, that we could come before you and approach you freely as righteous people. But Lord, we just ask in this time, Lord, that you start calling your people and calling your church out to do something that is radical, do something that is different, do something that is creative beyond what the world has seen so that they can see who you are. Lord, that in our simple gestures, that it falls in line with your kingdom message, Lord, that we know that all of those things that we do will last for eternity. So, Father God, we just come before you. We ask that you bring comfort to places that we need comfort. You bring healing to places that need healing. But, Lord, that you challenge us to do something that is different, that is radical, that is within our calling, something that we've put off for a long time. But let that you're calling us to come back to that place of living radically with you and for you. So Lord, we thank you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.